calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This week's show is brought to you by Frank Key's short story anthology, Impugned by a Peasant and Other Stories. 114 of the weirdest, most absurd, and entertaining little stories you've ever put your eyes on. Check them out at hootingyard.org. Also, for something to put your ears on, be sure to check out Frank's podcast, Hooting Yard on the Air, where Frank reads Frank to the masses. You'll find that link in our show notes. Welcome to The Drabblecast, episode 190. The Drabblecast is a weekly short fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week on the show, we're looking at fear and rationality, and we're going to start things off with another story by, or interview with, our sponsor, Frank Key, called The Goat God Catechism, after which you'll hear an author's note by Frank himself, giving us a glimpse into his exceptionally curious mind. Hope you enjoy. This um, is The Goat God Catechism, and listen very carefully because... um Really, you should learn this by heart. Is there anything more frightening than the goat god? No, there is not. Must one tremble when the goat god appears, looming from a cloud of foul, inexplicable gas? Yes, one must tremble. How must one tremble? In awe and dread. Must one cover one's ears when one hears the terrible clattering of the goat god's cloven hooves upon the linoleum? Yes, one must clap one's hands over one's ears. 
When the goat god brays its harsh bray, is it so loud that all birds and small mammals in the vicinity are rendered deaf? Yes, they are deafened temporarily. Is mayhem caused by the deafening of birds and small mammals? Yes, it can be, because those that depend on hearing for orientating themselves in the sky or upon the earth become confused and terrified. Does the goat god take pleasure from causing such havoc in the natural world? Yes, it does. There is mirth in its brain. Is the goat god accompanied by helpmeets? Yes, the goat god has two helpmeets. Are the goat god's helpmeets men or goats? They are mutant hybrids of both, their upper half being as a man, their lower half being as a goat. Do the helpmeets speak in a human tongue, or do they bray as would a goat? They do neither, for they are silent. What horror takes place once the cloud of foul gas has dispersed to reveal the goat god and its helpmeets in all their dreadful majesty? Some of the deafened birds fall from the sky, and some of the deafened small mammals scurry about in circles of disoriented bestial befuddlement. What else happens? I continue to tremble in awe and dread with my hands clapped over my ears. What does the goat god do? It continues to bray, loud and mirthful and terrifying. Does it continue to clatter its cloven hooves upon the linoleum? Yes, it does. Why is the ground covered in linoleum? Because the goat god has appeared in its cloud of foul, inexplicable gas in the kitchenette of my squalid flat. For what purpose has the goat god appeared in your flat? I'm not yet sure of its purpose, but it has appeared, um, it appeared because I accidentally summoned it. By what accident did you summon the goat god and its helpmeets? The accident was that I was reading aloud a recipe from Old Mar Purgative's Wonder Book of Pies and I pronounced some of the words amiss. Wait a moment. If you're in your flat, what explains the presence of all these deafened birds and small mammals? I said my flat is a squalid flat. It has no roof and it's overrun with wildlife. Why do you have no roof over your head? My roof was removed by the regime. Do you think Old Mar Purgative deliberately inserted words which might easily be pronounced amiss into her pie recipes to trick her readers into summoning the goat god? Yes, I do. Gosh. Indeed. What happens next? I'm going to finish baking the pie and feed it to the goat god and its helpmeets, and then we shall issue forth from my flat and wreak revenge and vengeance upon the regime. Will you be writing up an account of the terror you unleash? No, for this whole bailiwick shall be laid waste and there will be neither notepaper nor pens nor pencils when they are done. Will your flat still be standing? No, it will not, and I shall vanish with the goat god and its helpmeets in a second cloud of foul, inexplicable gas. Will the regime survive the vengeance you and the goat god and its helpmeets wreak? Not in this bailiwick. The Goat God Catechism is a piece based on uh, basically my Catholic upbringing. The Catechism is a sort of question and answer format to inculcate or brainwash children with Catholic doctrine. It's used in other Christian denominations, but uh, the Catholics tend to use it most. 
Uh, and I thought it would be amusing to use that in with, with the non-Catholic, like a goat god. Religious language has a great appeal to me. In, in the authorised version of the Bible, for example, there's whole passages of it that read fantastically, even though they seem to make no sense. One of my favourite lines is from the book of Isaiah, where it says, Drink ye, everyone, the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away. Why one should do that, I don't know. Um, and I'm sure that there was a time, perhaps in um, a couple of centuries ago in Europe, where people knew what that meant. But that sense, that cultural sense seems to have been lost, and yet the prose is still fantastic, and it's a great inspiration to me. Let us now enter into the temple of 100 word stories. This week's Drabble is called Trajectory, and it comes to us from Drabbling Tour de Force Nathan Lee. This is one of the Drabbles in Nathan's Wisest Stone set, featuring the adventures, antics, and affirmations of a philosophical rock. You can read more from this fantastic set, as well as Nathan's other Drabbles, over at mirrorshards.org. The boulder clipped the top of the curtain wall, knocking several smaller blocks loose. Hello, said the wisest stone amid the settling dust. You folks seem more reasonable. Now, this territory dispute you're having... A talking stone! It's of the devil! Fling it back! Soldiers scattered. You are the wisest stone, said a small block. Why do you not simply leave? Ah said the wisest stone. But here, traveling between the two sides, yet bound to neither, I am in a unique position to arbitrate. Rough hands strapped him onto the catapult. I'm sure someone will want to listen, eventually. This week's feature story is by one of my personal favorite Golden Age sci-fi authors, John Wyndham, and it's called The Wheel. John Wyndham was the substantially shortened pen name used by the English science fiction writer John Wyndham Parks Lucas Bainan Harris, born in 1903, died in 1969. He's quite well known for novels such as Midwich Cuckoos, Day of the Triffids, and The Kraken Wakes, all of which I highly recommend, especially if you're into creepy telepathic children, underwater alien civilizations, and large mobile plants bent on world domination. Wyndham's self-described style was that of logical science fiction, taking sensible, rational society as we know it, introducing one or two extraordinary factors, and then taking a very analytical approach to our reactions in these situations. As it turns out, rationalizing the onset of giant walking battle plants isn't the easiest thing to do, and the results are usually pretty grim. Wyndham likes to expose our rationality as purely protective, but in the end, also detrimental. Only when no hope is left can we actually face facts, with hope presenting itself as one last flicker of the human potential. This story first appeared in Tales of Gooseflesh and Laughter, 1952, and the audio rights were obtained through the author's estate. So, without further ado, The Wheel by John Wyndham. The 
The old man sat on his stool and leaned back against the whitened wall. He'd upholstered the stool elegantly with a hair skin because there didn't seem to be much between his own skin and his bones these days. It was exclusively his stool and recognized in the farmstead as such. The strands of a whip that he was supposed to be plaiting drooped between his bent fingers, but because the stool was comfortable and the sun was warm, his fingers had stopped moving and his head was nodding. The yard was empty, save for a few hens that pecked more inquisitively than hopefully in the dust. But there were sounds that told of others who had not the old man's leisure for siesta. From round the corner of the house came the occasional plonk of an empty bucket as it hit the water, and its scrape on the sides of Tywell as it came up full. In the shack across the yard, a dull pounding went on rhythmically and soporifically. The old man's head fell further forward as he drowsed. Presently, from beyond the rough enclosing wall, there came another sound, slowly approaching. A rumbling and a rattling with an intermittent squeaking. The old man's ears were no longer sharp, and for some minutes it failed to disturb him. Then he opened his eyes, and locating the sound, sat staring incredulously toward the gateway. The sound came closer, and a boy's head showed above the wall. He grinned at the old man, an expression of excitement in his eyes. He did not call out, but moved a little faster until he came to the gate. There he turned into the yard, proudly towing behind him a box mounted on four wooden wheels. The old man got up suddenly from his seat, alarm in every gesture. He waved both arms at the boy, as though he would push him back. The boy stopped. His expression of gleeful pride faded into astonishment. He stared at the old man who was waving him away so urgently. While he still hesitated, the old man continued to shoo him off with one hand while he placed the other at his own lips and started to walk toward him. Reluctantly and bewilderedly, the boy turned, but too late. The pounding in the shed stopped. A middle-aged woman appeared in the doorway. Her mouth was open to call, but the words did not come. Her jaw dropped slackly. Her eyes seemed to bulge. Then she crossed herself and screamed. The sound split the afternoon peace. Behind the house, the bucket fell with a clatter, and a young woman's head showed around the corner. Her eyes widened. She crammed the back of one hand across her mouth and crossed herself with the other. A young man appeared in the stable doorway and stood there transfixed. Another girl came pelting out of the house with a little girl behind her. She stopped as suddenly as if she'd run into something. The little girl stopped too, vaguely alarmed by the tableau and clinging to her skirt. The boy stood quite still with all their gazes upon him. His bewilderment began to give way to fright at the expression in their eyes. He looked from one horrified face to another until his gaze met the old man's. What he saw there seemed to reassure him a little, or to frighten him less. He swallowed. Tears were not far away as he spoke. Gran, what's the matter? What are they all looking at me like that for? As if the sound of his voice had released a spell, the middle-aged woman came to life. 
She reached for a hay fork which leaned against the shack wall. Raising its points toward the boy, she walked slowly in between him and the gate. In a hard voice, she said, Go on, get in the shed. But, Ma, the boy began. Don't you dare call me that now, she told him. In the tense lines of her face, the boy could see something that was almost hatred. His own face screwed up, and he began to cry. Go on, she repeated harshly. Get in there. The boy backed away, a picture of bewildered misery. Then, suddenly, he turned and ran into the shed. She shut the door on him and fastened it with a peg. She looked round at the rest, as though defying them to speak. The young man withdrew silently into the gloom of the stable. The two young women crept away, taking the little girl with them. The woman and the old man were left alone. Neither of them spoke. The old man stood motionless, regarding the box where it stood on its wheels. The woman suddenly put her hands up to her face. She made little moaning noises as she swayed, and the tears came trickling out between her fingers. The old man turned. His face was devoid of all expression. Presently, she recovered herself a little. I never would have believed it. My own little David, she said. If you'd not screamed, nobody need have known, said the old man. His words took some seconds to sink in. When they did, her expression hardened again. Did you show him how? She asked suspiciously. He shook his head. I'm old, but I'm not crazy, he told her. And I'm fond of Davy, he added. You're wicked, though. That was a wicked thing you just said. It was true. I'm a God-fearing woman. I'll not have evil in my house, whatever shape it comes in. And when I see it, I know my duty. The old man drew breath for a reply, but checked it. He shook his head. He turned and went back to his stool, looking somehow older than before. There was a tap on the door, a whispered shh. For a moment, Davy saw a square of night sky with a dark shape against it. Then the door closed again. You had your supper, Davy? A voice asked. No, Gran, nobody's been. The old man grunted. Thought not. Scared of you, all of them. Here, take this. Cold chicken it is. Davy's hand sought and found what the other held out to him. He gnawed on a leg while the old man moved about in the dark, searching for somewhere to sit. He found it and let himself down with a sigh. Oh, this is a bad business, Davy boy. They've sent for the priest. He'll be along tomorrow. But, Graham, I don't understand. Why do they all act like I've done something wrong? Oh, Davy, said his grandfather reproachfully. Honest, I don't, Graham. Come now, Davy. Every Sunday you go to church, and every time you go, you pray. What do you pray? The boy gabbled a prayer. After a few moments, the old man stopped him. There, he said, that last bit. 
Preserve us from the wheel? Davy repeated, wonderingly. What is the wheel, Gran? It must be something terrible bad, I know, because when I ask them, they just say it's wicked and not to talk of it, but they don't say what it is. The old man paused before he replied. Then he said, That box you got out there, who told you to fix it that way? Why, nobody, Gran. I just reckoned I'd move it easier that way. It, it does, too. Listen, Davy, those things you put on the side of it, they're wheels. It was some time before the boy's voice came back out of the darkness. When it did, it sounded bewildered. What, those round bits of wood? But they can't be, Gran. That's all they are, just round bits of wood. But the wheel, that's something awful, terrible, something everybody's scared of. All the same, that's what they are. The old man ruminated for a while. I'll tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, Davy. In the morning, the priest will come here to see your box. It'll still be there because nobody dares to touch it. He'll sprinkle some water on it and say a prayer just to make it safe to handle. Then they'll take it into the field and make a fire under it, and then stand around singing hymns while it burns. Then they'll come back and take you down to the village and ask you questions. They'll ask you what the devil looked like when he came to you and what he offered to give you if you'd use the wheel. But there wasn't any devil, Gran. That doesn't matter. If they think there was, then sooner or later you'll be telling them there was, and just how he looked when you saw him. They've got ways. Now, what you got to do is act innocent. You got to say you found that box just the way it is now. You didn't know what it was, but you just brought it along on account of it would make good firewood. That's your story, and you've got to stick to it. If you stick to it, no matter what they do, maybe you'll get through okay. But Gran, what is there that's so bad about the wheel? I just can't understand. The old man paused more lengthily than before. Well, it's a long story, Davy, and it all began a long, long while ago. Seems like in those days, everybody was happy and good and such like. Then one day the devil came along and met a man and told him that he could give him something to make him as strong as a hundred men, make him run faster than the wind and fly higher than the birds. Well, the man said that'd be mighty fine, and what the devil want for it? And the devil said he didn't want a thing. Not just then. And so he gave the man the wheel. By and by, after the man had played around with the wheel for a while, he found out a whole lot of things about it. How it would make other wheels, and still more wheels, and do all of the things the devil had said, with a whole heap more. What, it fly and everything? said the boy. Oh sure, it did all of those things, and it began to kill people too, one way or another. Folks put more and more wheels together the way the devil had told them, and they found they could do a whole lot of bigger things and kill more people too, and they couldn't stop using the wheel then on account of they would have starved if they had. Well, that was just what the devil had wanted. He'd got them cinched, you see. Pretty near everything in the world was depending on wheels, and things got worse and worse, and the old devil just lay back and laughed to see what his wheel was doing. Then things got terrible bad. 
I don't know quite the way it happened, but things got so terrible worse there wasn't scarcely anybody alive. Only just a few, like it had been after the flood, and they was nearly finished. And all of that was on account of the wheel? Uh-huh. Leastways, it couldn't have happened without it. Still, they made it out somehow. They built shacks and planted corn, and by and by the devil met a man and started talking about his wheel again. Now this man was very old and very wise and very God-fearing, so he said to the devil, No, you go right back to hell. And then he went all around warning everybody about the devil and his wheel and got them all plumb scared. Ah, uh, but the devil don't give up that easy. <laughs> yeah, he's mighty tricky. There are times when a man gets an idea that turns out to be pretty nearly a wheel. Maybe like rollers or screws or something. But it'll just pass as long as it ain't fixed in the middle. Yes, he keeps along trying. And now and then he does tempt a man into making a wheel. Then the priest comes. And they burn the wheel. And they take the man away and to stop him from making any more wheels and to discourage any other folk, they burn him too. They burn him? Stammered the boy. That's what they do. So you see why you got to say you found it and stick to that. Maybe if I promised never to make another. No, that would be no good, Davy. They're all scared of the wheel. And when men are scared, they're angry and cruel. Now you've got to keep to it. The boy thought for some moments, then said, What about Ma? She'll know. I had that box off her yesterday. Does it matter? The old man grunted. Yes, it does matter. Women do a lot of pretending to be scared, but once they do scare, they scare more horribly than men. And your Ma's dead scared. There was a long silence in the darkness of the shed. When the old man spoke again, it was in a calm, quiet voice. Listen, Davy lad, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to keep it to yourself, not tell a soul till maybe you're an old man like me. Sure, Gran, if you say. I'm telling you because you found out about the wheel for yourself. There'll always be boys like you who do. There've got to be. You can't kill an idea the way that we try to. You can keep it down a while, but sooner or later it'll come out. Now what you've got to understand is that the wheel's not evil. Never mind what the scared men all tell you. No discovery is good or evil until men make it that way. Think about that, Davy boy. One day they'll start to use the wheel again. I hoped it would be in my time, but maybe it'll be in yours. When it does come, don't you be one of the scared ones. Be one of the ones that's going to show them how to use it better than they did the last time. It's not the wheel. It's the fear that's evil, Davy. Remember that. He stirred in the darkness, his feet clumped on the hard earth floor. Reckon it's time I was getting along. Where are you, boy? His groping hand found Davy's shoulder and then rested a moment on his head. God bless you, Davy, and don't worry anymore. That's gonna be all right. You trust me? Yes, Gran. Then you go to sleep. The glimpse of dark sky showed briefly again, 
Then the sound of the old man's feet shuffling across the yard into silence. When the priest arrived, he found a horror-stricken knot of people collected in the yard. They were gazing at an old man who worked away with a mallet and pegs on a wooden box. The priest stood, scandalized. Stop, he cried. In the name of God, stop. The old man turned his head toward him. There was a grin of crafty senility on his face. Yesterday I was a fool. I only made four wheels for it. Today I am a wise man. I'm making two more wheels so that it will run half as easily again. They burned the box as he had said they would. Then they took him away. In the afternoon, a small boy whom everyone had forgotten about turned his eyes from the column of smoke that rose in the direction of the village and hid his face in his hands. I'll remember, Gran. I'll remember. It's only fear that's evil, he said, and his voice choked in his tears. our story. Hope you enjoyed it. The temptation here is to reflect on the story and offer up some thoughtful response, but I'm going to refrain. I think the story set its piece. I will, instead, ask you for your donations if you enjoyed it. A little bit goes a long way, and a lot goes even further. You'll find a few support options off of our main page, drabblecast.org. We very much appreciate it. So we have a weekly 100-character story writing contest that we run through our discussion forums, and each week we pick a winner and we post her out on Twitter. This week's winner was first-time winner Petricor, with this one right here. She chomped grimly on a neon chiclet stick figure. Voodoo Chew was the cheapest nico gum. But why was her son screaming? People are worried about secondhand smoke. If you do Twitter, follow us at the Drabblecast. So that's our show, folks. Remember, it's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change any of it, don't sell any of it, but feel free to share it all you like. Blog about us, tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks this week's awesome episode artist, Josh Hugo, a.k.a. Mr. Tweedy. Check out his kickin' site where he offers up his freelance art and web design skills at freemodemedia.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, a herd of deafened small mammals hurrying about, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, it's of the devil, fling it back.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.